from playing 18 to a full 60. Early leads to buzzer beaters. It all starts by getting on the board. Welcome inside episode 74 of On the Board. I'm Colby McKee across the glass, Lance Stoll. Hello. Good day to you, sir. Happy Sunday. Yes, we're recording this on a Sunday. Happy Father's Day as well yeah, to all the fathers you. out there. Yeah, you're a dad. You're a dog that's dad. That's a dog dad. Does that count? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, Thank counts. you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Uh, also on the line, Corey Bukoskis is here. Hello. I'm in the same time zone. So you are. You are back yeah. in Alberta time. Yeah, and I am not a dad for anything, so... Okay, well, you got you got to, tons of time, my friend. Not that you know of. Not that... Oh, oh <laughs> let's open that can of worms. Uh, um, yeah, glad that we're back, though, all three of us. Feel like it's, it's been, a while. been a, over a month since the three of us were back in studio, so it's fantastic. Okay. we got a lot to touch on here today, uh, being that it is a Sunday, lots going on in the sports world. We'll start things off in the WHL. Uh, been a pretty eventful week, not only Tigers-wise, but also league-wise, announcing uh, the home openers for WHL teams heading into next fall. Uh, Corey, what about the Tigers? What are their schedule looking like? Uh, for them, they're just doing the home-and-home home with the Broncos, starting in Swift Current on that opening night on the Friday, the first there. And then uh, Tigers fans can look forward to getting back in the building at the, uh, oh, what is it now, the co-op place? Co-op place now, co-op, yeah. I almost, I almost said Canalta. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> that'll be October 2nd. That's when you can see your Tigers at home for the first time in a long time because, uh, yeah, full capacity is, is what we're shooting for um, for everybody, all 22 teams on that October 1st. It's great to see the word full capacity in the, uh, in the release. Like, that is just a welcome sight. I mean... We, we've been seeing the uh, Alberta updates the last couple of days with, with Kenny here. And just to see a major light at the end of the tunnel, not only just Alberta-wise, but hockey-wise heading into the fall, it's a great sight to see. Yeah, it's, it's, it is great. And I, I think you're seeing, um, obviously, other leagues are, are starting to open up a little bit. You're seeing what the NHL is doing and, and in Montreal and I don't think there's been any issues with it. Like I haven't heard of any big outbreaks in those places. So I think uh, I think the world is opening up to it again. And uh, you know, definitely by October first, that's something that we can be optimistic about. That this is is a plan that's probably going to be followed through. It's crazy to watch those Montreal games. We'll touch on that in a second. But like just to see the forty is it forty five hundred they're allowing right now in the Bell Center. Like to see that even forty five hundred makes it look really full like I know they blocked off the lower bowl but to see all the fans on top uh, as an aerial view is so awesome and you can just feel that energy uh, even with 4500 in the crowd yeah it's nuts hmm. and, and like there's that ice level shot of Anderson's goal and then just like the the eruption even such a little fan base that that you know you could still hear it. You could still almost feel it. And then you know, I was talking to my brother and I was, I was just asking him after game one, I was like, how was that going from so, or I guess, you know, no fans all season. Then he had a little bit, uh, a couple games with the Montreal series where there were some fans and then going to Vegas where <laughs> not only is it full capacity, it's the craziest fan base in the world. Um, yeah, that was, that was a shock, but Good to see. Good to see we're back. He was, uh, yeah, like he had to really use that voice of his to get his uh, his reports <laughs> out because you could barely hear him sometimes on Hockey Night. Would have been sore the next oh, day. Oh, hey? I think so. He's yeah. out of yeah. practice a little bit. No kidding. That's so true. For sure. And uh, in terms of the Tigers side of things, uh, big shout out to Captain Ryan Chazowski and Cowboy Cole Clayton. They both have signed uh, some AHL deals heading into next fall. 
Uh, Chizowski with the Toronto Marlies and Cowboy with the Cleveland Monsters. Very well deserved for both those guys, uh, long-term Tigers, and it's great to see them get some success in the next level. Yeah, I think Chizowski was somebody that we kind of probably always labeled as somebody who was going to get that. I mean, I think he kind of got snubbed when he wasn't drafted because he had a good draft year. I mean, I think he put up like 50 points or something, um, which, you know, could warrant a seventh-round flyer. But, uh, yeah, he's a hardworking guy. Um, And, yeah, I I forget who I was talking to about it, but, like, I feel like he's a guy that, especially in the minors, if you need him in your top six, he can adapt. But if you need him on the fourth line killing penalties, like, he's a guy that can definitely do that. Um, He's definitely hardworking. Uh, and I, I feel like he learned quite a bit from James Hamblin, and, and the two are, are pretty similar in how they work. Like Shizowski can put the puck in the net, but I, I, you know, he can kill penalties. He can he can do anything to help um, a team win, especially early on in his career. Yeah, and that'll be the interesting thing because um, now he'll have a couple years in Toronto's system to to show development and and to show that he can play multiple roles, which is is kind of what the Leafs need and will for the foreseeable future continue to need if their money stays tied up uh, as top heavy as it's going to be and it looks like I mean you might be able to move some out but the majority of it's still going to be there for the next uh, next while so they're going to need players to to come in and be able to fill multiple roles uh, at a cheap price and, and that could offer up opportunities for, for Shizowski down the road uh, the, the one with Cole Clayton kind of surprised me to be completely honest um, just because I, I wasn't sure what the, the vibes would be like um, considering how the season was and, and how everything was structured and uh, with, with a majority of players finding other places to play or maybe just not being a part of, of the Western Hockey League and having a lot of younger players be in the Western Hockey League this year. I didn't know how teams would look at that, but uh, clearly we, we've seen progression from him every single year that he's been with the Tigers. Uh, so to see him get a crack with the Columbus farm team uh, and, and sign a pro deal there, uh, again, a team that it kind of makes a little bit of sense when you look at players that uh, Columbus has cranked out one that's very similar to if Cole Clayton continues to progress is how they had David Savard, who's uh, a guy that continued to get better at his skating side of things over the course of his early days in, uh, with the Blue Jackets and now eats up tons of minutes on a nightly basis in Tampa. Uh, it, it could translate down that road. Obviously, that's lofty expectations, but um, but but two spots that both make sense for Shizowski and for Clayton. Absolutely. I think... Uh that if he could turn, if Cowboy can turn into a David Savard type, that I think that'd be a. Oh, he, there's a niche for him. Like there's a yep. a complete path for him to have a long tenured NHL career. If that is the case uh, for Cowboy, any other notes you want to mention there, Corey? Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, just want to touch, um, get your guys' opinion um, on the new playoff format. Well, I guess you, I should should say old. Hmm. Um, that was one of the things along with the announcement of the regular season and, and the full capacity was um, each conference is going to go back to one versus eight. They're getting away from the current NHL uh, format, which is the, the one to three plus the two wild cards. Okay. Um, so thoughts on the one to eight. Um, I personally think, I don't know, I'm kind of excited. I, I like change. So like, you know, flip-flopping back and forth, I, I don't mind that. But also, I mean, that just gets a higher chance that you might see Bedard playoff hockey in Alberta. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I can go either way on it, I guess. Like, it's it's not groundbreaking or earth-shattering for, for what's going to happen this year, I don't think. Like, we haven't seen very many circumstances in the past format, including wild cards, where 
uh, it, it's completely out to lunch, and then you see this massive discrepancy between the two te- or teams that could have been in, but they're not because of this format compared to the other format. Uh, so I don't think it's going to really change the fabric a ton. Uh, but what it does offer is a little bit more incentive for teams to try and win their division and, and try Definitely. and finish in that top two of the conference, right? Because the, the tricky thing with it, though, is, is it's a double-edged sword, and then you have teams who are maybe you know, fluttering on, on the outside and they're kind of looking at things they're like, okay, we're, we're kind of middle of the pack. We, we would like home ice, obviously, to get the extra home games possibly, but do we want to make a push for it? And then we've just seen time and time again, teams become more conservative about it, right? Yeah. Because one or two teams will take over, they'll go for the big push and they will invest all their assets into it and all the other teams kind of back off. So I don't know if this format's necessarily going to breathe potential life into the situation where teams are going to be wanting to go after it now. Whereas I think it might just be more the same. So I'm kind of, that's why I said I was just kind of lukewarm on the whole thing. I don't think it changes a ton. I think that you lose the rivalry aspect now, being that they're not playing. You could not have the opportunity to play a Lethbridge or play a Red Deer, uh, depending on your your seed going into next year's playoffs. So that part might be, uh, you might be losing out on those rivalry uh, matchups in the playoffs. But you get back to more potential upsets, and it's much mm-hmm. easier to categorize an upset if it's a 1-8 or a 2-7 matchup than it is a, you know, the to the second, third team in your own division facing off, and then you got to face the winner or vice versa, whatever the case may be. So um, uh, kind of positives and negatives on both sides, at least for me mm-hmm. in that aspect. I think change is good. Like you said, Corey, I don't see a problem with it. And I think at the end of the day, uh, if the Tigers are in a playoff position, they'll, they'll gladly take anybody they face, and it'll just be a, a good matchup at co-op place when they get down to it. I do like what you said, though, Colby, because that's a big aspect to junior hockey is the rivalry aspect it of is. things. So maybe that's why the I maybe I'm, I'm feeling lukewarm on it because I enjoyed that aspect of it with the previous format so much more because you, you create those extra bits of hatred against teams like Lethbridge and Red Deer and Calgary and, and Edmonton um, for, for the Tigers example, but you see that all across the league where, I mean, there's there's always inherently going to be that rivalry, but it's more when it's in the playoffs, right? And, and You're this, destined to play one of those right. teams, 100%. And this built that inherently into the system where then for each locale, wherever you had a team set up, they were able to buy into that rivalry as well. And I think that just kind of brings up the best of junior hockey in a lot of ways for for both the players, but also from a fan point of view, getting people into the building. Like it's going to be more impactful to have a seven game series against Lethbridge, Edmonton, or anyone else in the Central mm-hmm. than it is to see the Regina Pats, Brandon even Weekings. with Connor Bedard mm-hmm. or or Brandon or Moose Jaw. Right, like it's going to be way more impactful. And I th- even look at the NHL side of things, like. The fact we got a Montreal-Toronto first round, albeit in this makeshift Canadian division this year, how great was that to see? Mm-hmm. That hadn't been done. And who knows if that'll be done again just due to uh, you know conference realignment and stuff like that. They're not going to be having this Canadian division next year. So um, things like that just kind of create the the narrative of, of the rivalries, like you said, and just making uh, it more enjoyable for WHL fans because you're right, that is the bread and butter. It's not... They're not making billions and billions of dollars. But if the fans want to come out and see the Lethbridge Hurricanes in a seven-game series, they're going to. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think getting away from that definitely gets away from the rivalry thing. But um, one positive is that, like, 
yeah, you mentioned that some people can maybe hide and there's incentive incentive to win your division. Like going back to the 2018-19 season, um, like the Giants won the BC division. They had 101 points. They played the second wild card, which, which was the Seattle Thunderbirds, who had 70 points. But the 2-3 in the BC division was Victoria at 72 and Kamloops at 64. Mm. So Victoria being under Vancouver at the two seed there played a weaker opponent at the three. So I think it gets away from that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I get, yeah, I'm on the fence. What was I mean, the big the reason for it? Do you know the what? Do you know what the reason was for flipping back to this? I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, no, I don't know. And it, you know, from my fin- from a financial aspect, it seems more expensive to do a playoff format like this. So I'm kind of surprised, like not saying the WHL is cheap at all, but just in, you know, in a season that you're coming back, there's not, you know, you, we missed a year of a lot of, uh, money. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested to see why they wanted to, but it was, it was something that the board of governors wanted to do. And yeah, we're going just ahead with weird. it. Just weird. Because yep. mm-hmm. potential like, for way more s- travel. Yeah. Yeah. I could yeah. see this happening like this format coming back in the NHL as a way to market your stars again. Right. Because that's, mm-hmm. that's been the constant crisis that this league has had for so long in the NHL has been marketing their stars and while in the WHL you still want to do that to an extent but at the end of the day it's a developmental league and you want to get people in the door to watch games that's where you're driving your your revenues from or tickets and then the offshoot of merch and, and having those rivalry games just seems to do it better but uh, yeah it'll be interesting uh, maybe maybe it'll work maybe it'll for some reason spark some more interest I don't know but yeah we'll see they could easily flip that back next year if, mm-hmm. if all things don't go the way they plan so uh, wait and see on that front. Uh, we'll switch things over to the NHL side of things. We are down to the final four uh, going for the Stanley Cup. And got to say, both series have been very entertaining in their own ways. We'll start things off uh, with Vegas and the Canadians. And it is early to say, I won't go full on apology mode to Mr. Lance. No, you but should. My go goodness, <laughs> has this ever been crazy to watch? Yeah. And... You've been there for it all. Yep. And yep. it's like I told you guys, and no one wanted to believe me. <laughs> you, Jesus. You no really one, had... no experts on the Sportsnet panel wanted to believe me no, in the first series. No, Kyle Bukowskis was not on board with that. It's like it's like no one listens to this thing. So maybe they should. <laughs> we should send this out to the people <laughs> who are or the higher ups, so they can you know just get a little bit of uh, knowledge and maybe stop disrespecting Montreal. Like yeah. after game one of this series with Vegas, everyone wrote him off again. Yeah. Like you guys got to stop this. Like you, you just yeah. have to stop. You called it. And uh, it, it's been so much fun to watch. I mean, game three last night or sorry, the other night was, uh, that was something to come back and get that gift for Josh Anderson to tie it and and then to, to win it in overtime. It's been a back and forth series. Petrangelo looks like the best defenseman in the game so far. He's been fantastic for Vegas. And I mean, we'll talk about it now, but I mean, Leonard's going in game four tonight. They're playing here on Sunday. Is that the right move to, to switch things up if you're if you're Vegas? Or does Fleury get to resurrect his demons? And or I guess he's not right now, but I mean, is that the right call to get them into a 2-2 series You know, at the end of the night? Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of mind-boggled by it. Like... I understand trying to switch things up, and, and if you're Vegas, this is obviously not how you saw the first three games going, but um, I don't know. I'd be interested to see what Marc-Andre Fleury's record is after losing a game in the playoffs, because I bet you it's pretty good, and uh, or especially losing two games. Um, and if there's any guy that I'd want coming back 
and you need to tie a series, I think he'd be the guy. But, I mean, I don't know. Then again, Leonard's game against Colorado in game one didn't go well, so that's probably playing to the back of my mind is that, you know, that might be how this game goes. But, I mean, we, I think we forget that Leonard is easily a top-20 goalie in this league. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Switching things up maybe, but I, I, I don't understand. But I, I wouldn't have gone with Leonard, I don't think. I don't know. Yeah, a lot of people are like you, Corey, remembering Leonard's last start against Colorado, but what people forget to remember is that Vegas just came off a seven-game series, had one night off after yes. Colorado was sitting there waiting, mm-hmm. uh, and they went into Which Colorado. Which is ridiculous. There was, it's, that's its yeah, own discussion. Right? That's its own problem. But there was no shot. Like Vegas, it was guaranteed lose night. And so there was no yeah. reason in putting in Flurry for game one. It was actually smart to throw Leonard in because Leonard... I mean, can, can eat it and whatever, and he'll be fine, and he'll come back the next day like nothing ever happened. So uh, they're more likely just taking a page out of what the Islanders have been doing yeah. in rotating Sorokin and, and Varlamov all playoffs. And everyone's surprised by it because it's a new way of thinking for for a playoff side of things. But we've always talked about teams needing two goalies to make the playoffs. So why don't you just have two goalies in the playoffs? Like yeah. it really, if, if you don't change the theory that way, hmm. like it seems like the Islanders have done until late when they started running Varlamov a little bit more. But the first little bit for, for New York was Sorokin, then Varlamov, Sorokin. He never really knew who was going to start. Um, so to have a competent, like 1A, 1B, like Vegas literally does, yeah. um, they can easily turn to Lanner and it's not a huge deal. If it doesn't work, then you are down 3-1 and... <laughs> I mean, life goes on. Like it's just gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna happen, right? Go I mean, back if, to Vegas for Game Five, and I guess the other thing is like, okay, so say you play Flurry and then you lose, and you're still down three one. Then what do you do? Then you turn to yeah. Like then you go into Lanner yeah. and try and have him win out. Like that doesn't really sound great. That's one aspect, though. I I never thought about it that way, Lance. I, I appreciate the 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 hindsight in the fact that they played that seven game series. Because in my head, I'm like, why would you turn to Lanner? After Flurry played so great in that Minnesota series, mm-hmm. but I never thought about rest versus Russ. You know, powerful Colorado team waiting for these guys to come in. Altitude, altitude. Like there were so many factors that I ne- never even thought of before. Mm-hmm. So like that. Now thinking back on that, it actually makes a lot of sense. Like you said, Leonard eats it, gets it over with, but then they come back and have a great rest of the series. So in this situation, though, it, that's different. Though, like yep. this is a whole different animal. This is this is uh, Pete DeBoer turning to Leonard in a, a pivotal situation. Like, I mean, if they go down 3-1 tonight, mm-hmm. then you got to expect they go back to Flurry for game five. Mm-hmm. But I kind of see your your way. If they stick with Flurry tonight, they lose, then what do you do? You're, you're caught yeah, Then in you're kind of stuck, right? Yeah. Like, you're stuck if you do, and you're stuck if you don't. You kind of do, yeah. And if you have the ability to bring in a decent... Are you are you good, Corey? You're what? Turning into Darth Vader for a second. You good? Big exhale. Am I? Oh, sorry. sorry. You were. No, just making <laughs> sure you're okay. That's you're all. Just moving. That's all. Uh, but yeah, you're kind of like damned if you do and damned if you don't. But I don't mind them going to Laner. And even if it doesn't work early in game four, say they get scored on a couple times in the first 10 minutes, then you yeah. just go back to Flurry. And uh, Vegas has shown that they can kind of grind it out. So um, it's probably going to be the first 10 minutes going to dictate how this the rest of the game goes and potentially the rest of the series. And how good has Price been? Like, holy smokes. Mm-hmm. Like that outshot almost double in game three uh keeping the minute so many times and yeah when it comes to goaltenders we talked about the vegas goaltender like price has been solid and he's needed to be solid because it takes a little while for the impact players on the canadians to really make their mark i mean anderson 
super late, but he got those two goals, and it's been a little while. Uh, Toffoli's been there. Cole Caulfield's been there. Suzuki's played really well uh, on both ends of the ice. Like It's a very, uh, and we've talked about this for, for months now, a very well-rounded team. Not a lot of superstar depth that's going to take you over in a game, but that's not what you need in the playoffs right now. Like You need contributions from all parts of your lineup, and it takes a little while. might be a little slower in these games, but they get after it, and right now they got a 2-1 series lead heading into tonight. Yeah, just production from everybody. Uh, yeah, Price has been the guy. Um, but like, I, I feel like, especially in this series, like he's he's made some great saves, but it hasn't just been him. Like it's not like oh, Carey Price is stealing this series. Like it's it's been amazing to see what Montreal's been able to do with their like from line one to line four, and how they've been able to grind this Golden Knights team out. And you know, Carey Price has made the the good save every once in a while but like you know he it's not like he is he's stealing the show game in and game out this this is just a solid team that we did not expect or I did not expect to see especially in the third round here but um yeah they've they've looked very very good the big difference is that Petrie came back if Jeff Petrie doesn't come yeah. back this series is a write-off right because they can't run three defensemen like Sherratt Weber and and Edmondson can't eat north of 28 minutes a night. They just can't. And I mean, they're close to that now. Even with Petrie back, they're still probably around going to be 25 at least the rest of the series. But mm-hmm. when you only have three defensemen that can really eat up any kind of minutes in a league that we're seeing very quickly turn to, you only need four guys, and then you mix in your 5-6. Like I, That's been another thing that I don't think people have really touched on over the course of these playoffs is every single team is only running four defensemen. That's it. And then they mix in their 5-6 with one of their top four guys. Like, they don't run the 5-6 out together. For example, at Edmonton or in Montreal, you're never seeing Brett Kulak come out with, like, uh, Romanov. No. Like, it's going to be Romanov mixed in with Weber, and then you're going to have Kulak mixed in with Edmondson. And that's how all of these teams now in this Final Four are running their defensive pairings, which is really, really interesting just from a logistical standpoint because some teams with better depth on the blue line aren't really using They're it. Not, like Tampa. Like So Tampa's roll, rolling four as well, basically? Well, yeah, and every time they let Eric Chernak on the ice, he's a fucking disaster. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean that's a problem in itself, but like he's just yeah, an absolute but, liability. But it's just one of those so, things, it's an aspect that people aren't talking about that's no. being utilized more so this year than in past. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like, so Eric Gustafson, I think, has been the sixth yeah, he's been uh, in there too. Yeah, Canadian. So you know, I, he's a defensive liability, but he can handle the puck. I've noticed he gets a like when he goes out there, he gets a lot of offensive zone starts mm-hmm. and power play time, right? I don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I th- he had what sixty. Po- yeah, he had a sixty point season in Chicago a couple years ago. So he's a guy mm-hmm. that can definitely generate offense. Um, so if you hide him away from his defensive zone, always start him in the offensive zone. He can play like a top four defenseman. Um, you just it's just how you utilize him. So yeah, very good point. That's super interesting. Former Calgary Flame as well, Eric Gustafson, just throwing that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> how does that, how does that going to portray as we get into the Stanley Cup final as well? Like the amount of wear and tear on these defensemen, uh, like you mentioned, for all teams. Like it's not just one team being the outlier. But how is that going to portray even next round when they get even more minutes and this potential to go six or seven games here in round three? Like. They're, they're just machines back there. Like, how do they just... Can, how can they continually roll four and not utilize that depth? At some point, you might think they have to utilize some depth, like, mm-hmm. more than just the five, seven minutes that Gustafson's playing. 
the biggest thing is is system, right? And that's why the Islanders have been so good the past couple seasons, even without John Tavares, is because everyone on their team has bought into the system that they're playing. Yeah. And when you buy in defensively and you kind of make the game, for, for the most part, way less interesting and muck it up, it, it makes it a lot easier on your defensemen because they're not having to turn back and getting absolutely piled into the boards every single time. And even in the series with Montreal where uh, in Vegas where... I mean, everyone's talking about, well, Ryan Reeves is now going to be bearing down on your defenseman. Well, yeah, but he also plays nine minutes. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, he's he's an impact for those nine minutes, and that nine minutes every single night gets annoying. But, I mean, if, if you ask any of the Montreal defenders who are all capable of moving the puck, like, they're not, they haven't seemed to be all that concerned about it. Like, no. they, they're, they're fine just kind of taking the contact, making the play up the boards and chipping it along. It's... It's just super simple structure yeah. that they've been playing that it, it makes it a lot easier to go through a playoff run. Whereas you look at a, when Vegas played Colorado, Colorado's defensemen and just the way that they play their system defensively is try and get the puck, flip it up ice as quick as you can. Let's not have all of our players back. Yeah. Let's have some guys stretched up to the blue line and further and let's look for a stretch pass and try and make it happen. But then over the course of time, you're now leaving guys like Makar and Gerard more vulnerable to getting fucking piled up by Ryan Reeves for his nine minutes. So exactly. that's kind of the difference is just simple breakouts in your own end and then how you play your structure defensively and, and the all the teams that are left, very strong defensive structure. Mm-hmm. A little bit of breaking news in this series. Um couple days ago, head coach Dominic Ducharme tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, just got the alert that uh, Golden Knights GM, Kelly McCrimmon, is also tested positive for COVID-19. So he will probably oh. be away from the team uh, for the foreseeable future. So um, just some news and notes, of course. Nothing we can do about that. Uh, any other mentions you want to mention with the series as we head into Game 4 tonight, Corey? Um... I don't think so. No, I think we've kind of touched on everything. Uh, it's it's interesting. Like it's it's one of those games that I have I have no idea which way it'll go. I I want to lean towards Vegas tying up the series, but I mean Vegas. I, like I don't know. We talk about the Leonard situation. It a little bit seems like a panic move. Like you know, mm-hmm. they if don't Montreal have scores like, three, they win. By the way. That's true. If, Montre- if Montreal scores three, they win. They're nine and zero. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. This playoffs. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, and I don't okay. know that Carey Price has ever lost in the playoffs when he gets three or more. Wow, at least not recently in the past couple of years. So, what a stat! My, okay, uh huh. My sorry, I just want to touch on the goaltending situation again. My question: <laughs> um, What if Lehner wins this game? Where do you go with Game Five? Back to Lehner. Yeah. Do you? You just ride him out? Shit. Why not? Yeah. Or well, if, or you can you. go it's with Flurry like, again. You can just flip back to Flurry. At home. Well, yeah, that'd be an interesting situation. Because yeah, for all I we guess. know, it might just be. It's one of those things where Flurry's just simply exhausted. Like we don't know. Maybe Flurry's just run out of gas. He's thirty-five years old. And fair enough. And it looks. It might just be a way to to get him a day off. Even though, yeah, you you don't want to take days off in the playoffs. Well, you have the ability to with Laner, and yep. we've seen it in other series. I don't know. I'd probably go back to Laner if he wins, but we'll it's see. not as doom and gloom as we're at least we thought going in, like because these guys are so good. Both of them are really, really good at being a goaltender in this I don't league. even think if they go down 3-1 in the series, I don't think it's a problem. They're not panicking that I much? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, they got the home no. ice still. So mm-hmm. they just got to take care of business 5-6-7 if that's the case. But 
Uh, they could very well tie this up at two tonight, so we'll have to wait and see on that front. Uh, the other series that's also been super entertaining, the Islanders and the Lightning, that series is tied at two games apiece. Last night, what a game for the Islanders to go up 3 nothing, hold off the comeback that was the Lightning. Point's been an absolute monster. Man, has he ever taken the throne away from guys like Stamkos and Kucherov? Like, he is... He is their go-to guy. And I I don't think going into uh, probably the beginning of this season, you probably wouldn't expect Point to be the go-to guy. I mean, Kucherov was hurt all year, but the return of Kucherov has been insane for the entire lineup of the Lightning. Uh, but on the Islanders' front, like their system, like you mentioned, Lance, they have been, uh, for the most part, pretty well sound to stop the uh, Lightning attack. And uh, last night was was no exception for that. Yeah, and we were talking about like time on ice a little bit before. Like, if you want to see two teams that deploy their seventeen or I guess eighteen guys differently, that's very different. So the Islanders' top five guys are all defensemen. Um, so they're really rotating between those guys. And Noah Dobson's the sixth down at thirteen minutes. But um, and then the like the forwards for the Islanders. What would it be? One to to twelve. They're all between eleven forty four and eighteen minutes. So you know they they don't go top heavy like some of the defense or teams do with their defense. Like you know they they got similar to Montreal. Um, it's like every line. Like I mean, Matt Martin looked really good last night, and that line <laughs> did very well, which I didn't think I'd say. But um, they you know that was a big game for them. Um, confidence-wise, because you know when that second goal came in, or went in for Tyler Johnson, it, it really looked like things were going to switch, and, and the Lightning might be able to tie it up. But uh, they held to it, and, and what a save by uh, Ryan Pulak to, to save the game there. <laughs> what a what a timeout by Barry Trotz after the second one goes in, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's why you you pay your coach a lot of money <laughs> uh, on top of many other things. But that might be the biggest one is to get a feel because a lot of guys might look at it and say, well, we might need this timeout later. Like, you never know. We still got, like, 12 minutes left in the game. We might need this, so we better just hang on to it. Barry Trot said, fuck that. Guys, get it together. Um, but, yeah, it's... The, the series just, like, I, I don't know. I I watched it yesterday, and it was still... It was a good game, but I, I just... It's missing something. I don't know what it's missing for me. Like, okay. I, I don't know what it is. I just... I'm like, okay, yeah, Varlamov, it, he's he's okay. He's, he's a decent goaltender <laughs> in a really good system. Like... Mm-hmm. I remember someone was having the discussion. It was like, oh, man, Colorado would have made it far if they had Varlamov back. I'm like, yeah. That was me. We we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I said, like, they need a better goalie, but, like, like Varlamov is almost like another guy, right? In the Colorado and, system, I mean, he was part yeah, of that, and he didn't play just great. Just another dude. Yeah. But, like, you put him in that system in which, like, Corey, you're saying, I mean, hmm. the, the, the lowest forward's playing 11 minutes, top end is 18. I mean... That's just it's it's easy to stay in series if you're able to be able to roll your lines like that because you're not going to be as exhausted come five six and seven. Yeah. Um, from the Tampa end of things, I mean, it's still it. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. It's still Nikita Kucherov's team. Uh, I, mean, I think he leads playoffs in points. Okay. Uh, so it's still his team, very much so. But but Braden Point just adds a different layer. Hundred um, percent. Yeah. And the thing is, like now they need a guy like Anthony Sorelli to pop up because Sorelli has been almost non-existent lately. Um, and he's a guy that if you get that third layer, that third tier of offensive production, 
now you're suddenly like pushing the Islanders further than they can with their their balance on basically all, all over the ice. It's I did not realize that the lowest end was 11 minutes and the top end's 18. That's wild. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. wild. Compared to uh, the Lightning, who their bottom or their their bottom forward line doesn't even hit 10 minutes. Yeah, mm. yeah that um, makes a difference, right? Yeah. It sure does. For sure. Uh, should be an interesting last few games here with this series uh, between the Islanders and the Lightning. I mean, I still view the Islanders as an underdog. I think you have to with uh, with Game 5 going back to Tampa and they got home ice. But uh, the way they've been playing, a total team effort, none of this is out of the question. Like they've In both the Canadians and Vegas series and this series, the underdog team, quote unquote, hasn't looked the part. Like they've looked very competent on both sides of it. And this is, like I said, it's been very entertaining, both these series. And it's been nice. Yes, it's, it's great nice to see. to see that angle of it. 100%. So, I, I mean, either one of these four could easily represent the conferences uh, in the next week or so. 100%. You can't, there's not one team in there that doesn't belong, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion. So, um, anything else NHL-wise you want to touch on, Corey? There, there is one note you, you've added in here. Talking about Kirill yeah. Kaprizov. What's going on with him? Do you, yeah, have you guys heard anything about this? I've not. Or Lance, did we talk about this? Or no. no? Okay. I'm waiting for you. <laughs> okay, well, so... Uh, um, who was it? Kevin Weeks? Kevin Weeks was just saying that uh, Kirill Kaprizov is currently in Moscow... Um, and contract talks with Minnesota have not gone well so far, and there is rumor that CSKA Moscow is putting their hat in the ring for him. So oh, possible wow. KHL return for K- Kirill Kaprizov. That's um, hilarious when they anyway. call her and leave. <laughs> what? I said that's hilarious when they call her and leave. Yeah. So, interesting. Anyway, it, there's not much to it. Just wanted to... Um, it was just like a report from Kevin Weeks, and there was a couple other reporters that were kind of talking about it. But yeah, basically, as long as talks have kind of staled between Minnesota and Kaprizov, I mean, like, you know, I guess anything is possible. I saw somewhere, um, I think it was part of Kevin Weeks' tweet that's saying um, to have him play in the KHL and obviously be eligible for Olympics. But I think NHL players are going to the Olympics next year, aren't they? It was my understanding. Yeah, I haven't okay. heard anything different. Okay, yeah, I thought so too. So I didn't know what if that had anything to do with it. But anyway, yeah, Minnesota just, this was a great year for them. They went from a very boring franchise to all of a sudden have this excite, excitement behind this one player and could be gone as soon as he got there. I don't yeah, know. that's a great look. That is a great look for the Minnesota Wild. To potentially you, lose him? Yeah. I don't know how you how can you, lose him. How do you not give him a blank check? Like, I know I you know. got Parise and Suter contracts, but <laughs> dude, like... Make it work. What like, the hell is he asking for if he can't come to a deal? Like, what's, what's the asking price from Kaprizov's camp if you can't find a way to make it work? Like, like are you worried that you're not going to have enough money for Joel Erickson Eck? Is that a <laughs> concern here? Like, <laughs> like, what are we doing? Need to re-up Cam Talbot? Greg Pattern? Yeah, maybe they got Greg Pattern on the back burner. Maybe he's yeah, planning he's to make a comeback. Um, yep. that, is, that is interesting because he signed that two-year deal the last season, well, two years ago. Mm-hmm. So this, he's a he's a UFA, right? So this is, and he's played for CSKA for several years. So it's not like it would be completely foreign to him to go back to them. It's just that's crazy. I think, yeah, 
somewhere. Yeah, that might have been it. I can just Google it. But um, don't quote me on this, but I want to say, like, Minnesota was one of the teams heavily scrutinized for when the pandemic first hit. They let go of a lot of staff members, and it was Mm. kind of criticized. Like, hey, you have old, like, anyway, they were one of the NHL teams that faced a lot of scrutiny for, um, yeah, letting go of part-time and full-time staff that they they really should have held on to. So, anyway, maybe it's just a... they're being cheap. Well, maybe Caprizov was part of that. Maybe they said, "Hey, we're we're gonna have to let you go because pandemic cuts." Sorry, bud. Yeah, eh, you never know. What? But yes, it was CS- CSK Moscow is where he's been playing for the past three years before Minnesota. Anyway. Yeah. Hmm. Who knew that uh, Kevin Weeks was an insider like that? That's that's some <laughs> groundbreaking True. stuff from Minnesota. Uh-huh. Why does he have yeah. eyes and ears in Minnesota? I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. We'll have to try and nope. get him on find out why. <laughs> Kevin, if you're listening. My favorite part of Kevin Weeks' interviews is uh, when he does them on TV and mm-hmm. they roll like some kind of B-roll over top of him and be like, like look at this play here. <laughs> this but he does it with every <laughs> single play that comes up on the TV. Every single one. It, it can be completely irrelevant to what he's talking about. Right. Like, look at this play here. Like, look at this graphic here. <laughs> Our good friend Kelly Rudy does that as well. Uh, not not even close not to, to the, the severity. Extent, not no. even close. Yeah, no. It's because the difference is that they actually plan out like you know clips to show clips to show exactly. Like for for Kevin Weeks' interview, they're just rolling stuff over top of literally. Of just his he's picture. in a studio kind of thing. Yeah, uh, I got it. I guess now that we're talking about that, quick shout out to everybody that's been working hockey night the last sixteen months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I caught one intermission period. I can't remember if it was last night or the night before. And God bless him, but that must be super difficult to do a live broadcast with Ron in studio. And then you got Kevin Bieksa from his home. You got Cassie Campbell Pascal. You got Kelly Rudy. And unfortunately, there was some some jumping over people nice. and some just some hiccups and stuff. Like to, the fact that they've been doing these broadcasts for this long is uh, is incredible. And some little things like that are going to happen mm-hmm. where Kevin like jumps over Cassie. But it's just like. The whole broadcasting side of that, that piques my interest, of course, but like it's just super difficult to make all that smooth as possible. And they've, outside of a couple of little instances here and there, they've done a bang up job doing these. So, Agreed. Yeah, I no. can agree with that. That's looked very mm-hmm. well. Nothing mm-hmm. else to say. Okay, uh, we'll move things along to the NBA side of things. Lots to talk about on that front. Uh, they are now down to, I guess, the final five because. Game 7 of Philadelphia and Atlanta goes tonight to find out who that fourth team is. We'll get to them in a quick second. Uh, The Phoenix Suns, though, have really come back and uh, made a name for themselves. They are off to the Western Conference Final against those Clippers. Uh, Game 1 was this afternoon. We can touch on that quickly. Suns win that game behind uh, Devin Booker's 40-point triple-double without Chris Paul. Uh, Superstar engaged with Devin Booker. That was incredible. Uh, But the series before that, they swept the Nuggets... And first off, not expecting a sweep. Suns, I mean, it was going to be a close series by all accounts. And Jokic wasn't his MVP self. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. was reportedly hurt. His lower back was acting up for for much of the series. And finally, the Nuggets backcourt without Jamal Murray couldn't keep up with Chris Paul and Devin Booker and co. Uh, That was just a very uh, well-deserved win by the Suns. They kind of dominated in all aspects. Yeah, yeah, they've... They've been like the most complete team, I think, so far in these playoffs, mm-hmm. which has been crazy to say, considering some of the units that have been put together for a little bit longer that seemingly can't get over the hump for whatever reason. But 
I don't know how long this can go without Chris Paul. Uh, I feel like they need him hopefully back sooner than later, just because as the series is going to drain on, I mean, they're just gonna they're gonna run into it against the Clippers, I think, over time. But um, picking up game one's huge because it just kind of sets the tone for them and lets them know even without Chris Paul, they can get it done, right? Exactly. And Chris Paul being out, obviously, he's in uh, COVID protocols, which um, we don't know if it's going to be a 10 day or a 14 day absence. We'll have to wait and see on that for now. He was out for game one. Um, could be back for game three, game four, which if that's the case, you look across the court and you see the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard for mm-hmm. presumably the rest of this playoffs with his ACL injury. Um, uh, sorry, Paul George was incredible again today. But, you know, hero of game seven, Terrence Mann, went from 39 points mm-hmm. to nine today. Yeah, and that's so, going to be the swings you're going to see from them, be. right? It will be. Like, that'll be the depth issue that creeps in for the Clippers. So, like, it's not the, the dream West final, no, I don't think, considering considering how two of the bigger stars, one on each side, isn't participating at the moment. Uh, but if, if Chris Paul comes back in, in a relatively quick amount of time, even like game four or five, like, it's done. Like the Suns are winning too much. It's just it's going to be too much for Paul George. I think like like he's good, and, and now is the time where if he wants to make a name for himself. I mean, you you've been wanting this time for how long? Yeah. Like this is your opportunity. I just I I have a hard time believing they they're going to get past if Chris Paul comes back. And the fact that the Clippers were able to beat the Jazz in their own uh, series in six games. So Kawhi goes out at, in Game Four. We really don't know what scenario it was that he tweaked or tore the ACL or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. We kind of, that's to be determined as well, but he goes out at the end of game four. He's not back for game five, game six. I did not expect the Clippers to one, win the series and two win it in two games, like a sweep from right. being tied at two. Uh, but again, like you mentioned, like Terrence Mann was incredible in game seven. Paul George played a crazy good in game six to get them that three, two lead. And it was a complete team effort for the Clippers. And you got to feel bad for Donovan Mitchell on the Jazz side of things. He played incredible all playoff song. And it's the second straight playoffs where he's averaging close to 28, 30 points a game, being considered a superstar in this league. And the Jazz go out again in pretty bad fashion, you know, blowing a 25-point lead in Game 6. Uh, that one hurts. But for the Clippers side of things, that total team effort that they may be lacking here in the series against the Suns coming up, it came through in flying colors at the end of that Jazz series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it'll be interesting for the Jazz. We'll see more, I guess, into the offseason on how they're going to find supplementary depth to push them over the edge because they're they're going to need it for next year. Like, you, you are seeing a very similar road for them like you saw for the Raptors where it was okay you got to get in and you learn how to play in it and then you learn how to lose in it and eventually you got to start winning when you get into those big spots and they they've gotten in they saw what it was about now they've lost a pretty big series and and now next year is their time where they have to kind of push themselves over the top I just don't know where that player becomes available unless like somehow you're finding a guy like Giannis and you're able to pull him out mm. of, of Milwaukee if he doesn't like it there. I mean, I don't really know where else you're finding a guy that's, you know, Kawhi for Toronto level that, that can kind of take you and push you over, you know? Right. And I mean, the buildup of this team this year was they ran things back after their loss in the mm-hmm. bubble last year. Uh, they were relying 
on the camaraderie and the you know the stability of their franchise to carry them and they obviously did with flying colors regular season they were the the champs they got the one seed everything was on a clear path for them to do very well in these playoffs Mitchell improved his game to a, an MVP level he mm-hmm. got he could have got some votes if he didn't wasn't missing the last quarter of the year uh, with his injury uh, Rudy Gobert was defensive player of the year Mike Conley was good when he was healthy that's big loss yeah uh, when, when he wasn't at full strength here in the playoffs but They've got the pieces, and they've got a lot of good role players. Playing in Utah helps as well mm-hmm. uh, with their home court advantage. I like a lot of these pieces in Utah, and I think it's just a combination of injuries and you know just lack of preparation, quite frankly. But we should have known better when, when they started to run it back because no team that's ever run it back with a team that lost then won. Like it never happens. Milwaukee tried it for a little bit, and then they, they realized it didn't work, yeah. and they bring in Drew Holiday. Like, like they eventually you got to find the the ad to bring in. Like running it back just never seems to work. It just it doesn't. There always has to be an ad you have to find somewhere to to put your team into a better spot. And I think the Raptors again, when you look back at what they've done or what they did, it was very similar in that they tried bringing back the Rosen and Kyle Lowry, and they were pushing and pushing, and they were putting up great regular season numbers. Playoffs, they just were finding their way. And then you eventually have to just bring somebody in that that takes you over the edge. And I, that might be what Utah needs. Yeah, very well. Very well. We'll have to wait and see what their offseason holds here mm-hmm. as they head into the fall. Um, another series, I guess we'll switch things over to the East with the uh, the Bucks and Nets last night. Game 7 was advertised as a must-watch event, and boy, did it come through in flying colors. Uh, Kevin Durant played like the best player on the face of the earth the mm-hmm. last couple games for the Nets um, with Kyrie Irving injured and a hobbled James Harden. Um, they almost pulled this thing off and it was very uh, touch and go because Milwaukee here in game seven held things really close and the Giannis played fantastic and it's kind of overshadowed because of the dominance of Durant, which is a positive if you're a Nets fan, but also a negative because when Joe Harris and Blake Griffin and Bruce Brown are your next best contributors on the offensive side of the ball, that's a problem. Bruce Brown played like 50 minutes last they, night. Exactly. They played like the whole damn game. Like You wouldn't know if Bruce Brown was a basketball player or a guy that's playing at the Esplanade tomorrow night. 100%. Like you, you might not know the difference between who Bruce Brown is, right? Yeah. And, and Joe Harris just seemingly struggled to shoot Oh, he was late, quiet the whole especially series. Especially in Game 7, just... Oh. Couldn't get anything going. Um, yeah, this is a massive L for the Nets. This is a big-time loss. No matter if they were fully healthy or they were all out, um, mm-hmm. they needed to win this one because Milwaukee was was seemingly walking down the roads that they've been in before where they're favored to win, and then they just let it go, and yeah. they find a way to blow up and implode. And, I, I mean, earlier in this series, we were talking about, okay, Mike Boonholds is going to have to find a new job. Yep. And now he might be getting a extension if he makes it or if he helps push the Bucks to the final. Yeah. Like, if they get to the NBA Finals, Boonholds is probably safe. And that's that's the only way, I think, for, for Milwaukee to be considered a success this year as well. Yeah. Is if they make it to, to uh, an NBA Finals. But, yeah, it, it's... I wish this would have been a conference final matchup in the worst way because I feel like the juice would have been obviously worth it. Um, not to say that the Philly and, and Atlanta series hasn't been good because it has, but 
everyone knew that these two teams are the best two teams in the conference, yeah. and seeing them at the conference final would have been great. But now it's like, okay, how much do the Bucks have left? Because we, we see it all the time in series. Okay, they've just pushed, and they took arguably the best team in basketball this year to 7-1. and one. Mm-hmm. What do they have left for either Philly or, in, or Atlanta, and do they have enough to, to stretch out a series against either one of them? I think, uh, first off, it's great to get that win under your belt as a Bucks fan because we've been waiting, we've been waiting for them to actually break through, and that's a big time breakthrough to beat a team like the Nets. It also goes to but show, but it hasn't. Like, does it break through? Because you're just at the conference final again. We'll have to wait and see what this next series. Yeah, because like, presumably they're going to be the favorites going in, regardless yeah, if they face 100%. Philly or Atlanta. Hundred percent, they're going to be the favorites again. Mm-hmm. It also goes to show, though, that these big three super teams. They don't win in year one. Rarely, rarely do they win. The, the Heat big three mm-hmm. lost in, in round in their first go around. So it takes time. It took a lot of injuries as well to really take down this Nets team, albeit. Um, people are talking about, was Giannis intentionally trying to hurt Kyrie on the ankle, on the ankle roll? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, God, no. Probably not, but okay. Is he, <laughs> is he, he's not an idiot. Like, why... It just does not make sense. People yeah. are going with that realm uh, of possibility. Uh, very unfortunate that injuries kind of hampered this series. But like I said, Giannis was fantastic. Middleton stepped up. The, the first couple games when they got blown out, this series did not look even close. Mm-mm. They didn't deserve to be there. They looked terrible. True. But it's amazing what seven games will do. And they came through in game seven uh, behind or overcoming Durant's crazy games. Man, he was hitting some stupid shots. Yeah, and then he had just an awful attempt at the last shot of overtime. Overtime, oh, man, he was a, gassed in overtime. Like his, all of his attempts were just not there. They like, he, he, then, and you knew you couldn't go anywhere else. No, it was like Joe Harris couldn't even touch the basketball, and Harden was just a shadow of himself. He was not right. I mean, he was out there though. So Give props him to him for being yeah. out there because yeah. he clearly wasn't right, but he wanted to be there. And yeah, I mean, Bobby Brown there, Bruce. <laughs> Hello, Bruce. Like he just couldn't get it done either. So, uh, yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be a tough one for Brooklyn for quite some time, I think. Actually, and it's not really there's not really much changing this because you're gonna go with your big three next year. Mm-hmm. You're gonna tinker around the edges. They're gonna bring in some guys on veteran deals. This is your team, and you just hope that uh, injuries don't hamper you next year, and you hope that your big three can uh, all be on the court at the same time. Yep. Quite True. frankly, that's going to be the the cream of the cream when it goes to the uh, the East next season in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Last off, uh, we talked about them quickly, the 76ers and the Hawks. They play their Game 7 tonight uh, in about an hour's time as we record this. Very much looking forward to watching this one because the Hawks, they beat the Knicks. A little bit of an upset there. Then they come into Philly in this series, and th- they should not be in this position. They Embiid, nobody can stop Embiid right now. Capella is supposed to be. Isn't it Capella saying that he can? Well, I, don't, I, well, I think he was it. saying like once you get into his head, like he's done. And I've, uh, I've yet to see it. No, there's proof. Like Embiid had like 37 the other night, but had about five points in the second half. Yeah. Oh, and he wasn't even getting to the line at all. Like yeah. I, the, the starters didn't get to the free throw line until like six minutes left in the game. Yeah. Which is insane to me. Mm-hmm. Like the, they weren't getting the calls at all. And when John Collins is dunking all your face, like that mm-hmm. was crazy to watch too. But like Embiid, when he wants to, he can go nuts. And Ben Simmons was in foul trouble there in Game Six, and he couldn't keep up with what Trey Young was doing. And Trey Young's been amazing in his first playoff appearance for the Hawks, and he's had to be because some of his role players 
DeAndre Hunter is out for the, for the season. Could have been a really good uh, wing defender for them playing against Tobias Harris on the on the Sixers. But uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich has been kind of hit or miss. Collins goes through stretches where he's not the go-to power forward like they think. So Capella's been very quiet considering his regular season where he was a top five center in the league. Mm-hmm. He's been very quiet uh, on the offensive front and he's not really doing much defensively if you ask me. So they're getting kind of contributions wherever, but Trey Young is the stir that's, that works everything for the Hawks and he's been fantastic. But they really shouldn't be in this position because Philly keeps blowing major leads. And I don't know what that could be. They're just... Remember how I said that Embiid would put up like five points in the second half? That's why they're where they are. Yeah. Because they they gas out. And Atlanta's been more than okay to let them do it. Like Tobias Harris hasn't shown really any kind of offensive upside. He's almost looking like Joe Harris at this point. Um, Ben Simmons literally cannot take a jumper. No. Like he's actually scared to shoot the basketball. I, I didn't think it was possible when I was in elementary school that you could be a basketball player without scoring points. I thought you had to know how to shoot to play basketball. It turns out you don't. No. Like, you don't need to know how. good money. You can, you can make a lot of money by never shooting the ball. Um, and that's just not going to fly because it is all on Joel Embiid. And if you keep feeding him, he does gas out. It's been proven. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the endurance to last a full game. And if you're just going to – they say, okay – We'll, we'll body him up, we'll make it tough on him, but we know he's going to score. We'll let him have his, and no one else is really going to beat us. And that's right. kind of how they've gone about it. So they let Embiid get his early, and then they start throwing doubles at him. Then they start making, mixing up coverages a little bit, and then it opens up the floor for Trey Young on the other end to start doing a little bit of work. And I, I think Atlanta fans are, are now starting to appreciate him uh, a little bit more. It's probably not... Luca level, not yet. like they could have had. Yeah, but they're True. probably thinking, you know, this this Trey Young guy is actually pretty good. Like we might be okay having Trey Young on our team. Yeah, that trade that will always go down in lore for for both sides of things. Mm-hmm. Like the, the what ifs, and I mean, both players have been incredible. But well, seemingly uh, Trey Young has made it further than Luka Doncic, so Trey Young is better than Luca. I guess we check can mark. All- Checkmark Trey. Guess that's what it means. Uh, no, he's been incredible. And the fact, like, the way he plays, he gets into the paint, he keeps his dribble when mm-hmm. he gets down there. And his lobs are incredible. His, his vision and his passing, along with his threes, he's actually shooting better from three than he is from two in this series, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of surprising. But um, he has been the superstar that the Hawks need. And he's going to need another big performance tonight if they're going to pull this out on the road. And when they double Embiid, Seth Curry, among a, a good bunch of shooters for the Sixers, are making their threes. And that's what was the dagger in game six. Seth had a crazy third quarter where he hit 14 or 16 points. And it was just three after three after three. He got the confidence going and he was in the zone. And that's something that they can't do tonight if the Hawks are going to try to pull this off. I think they're going to let him though. Because why wouldn't you try and let Seth Curry beat you? Like if if you're going to lose to the Sixers, who do you want to lose to? Embiid, Mm -hmm. Simmons, and Tobias Harris? Yeah. Or would you rather take all of them out and lose to Seth Curry? Yeah, like that's what so. they that's what they're leaving it up to, right? Yeah, they're gonna say you're gonna have to beat us with your like four, five, six guys trying to score points, and it's got him to a game seven. Yep. If if Seth gets hot, then it's gonna be a problem. They're gonna have to pivot, but I mean they they've clearly established who they want to take out of the game, 
and who they're going to leave open. And it's just going to come down to, I never thought we'd say this, it's going to come down to Seth Curry having to hit shots. It would be also incredible if Trey Young silences not only the New York Knicks crowd, but also the Philly crowd tonight in a Game 7. He could Mm -hmm. could legit silence two of the most um, aggressive, boisterous, prominent crowds in NBA today. Uh, with his performance tonight. He's going to need it, like I mentioned, because it's going to be a uh, a tall task to uh, take down Embiid and co. for the Sixers. So uh, that's yeah. going to be very interesting to watch. We'll we'll see how that plays out. What do you and- think, Corey? <laughs> yeah. You're still here, bud? <laughs> yeah, holy shit, guys. You guys went off. I was going to, like, interject at some points, but I was like, you guys are just on a tear right now. <laughs> um, Trying to flow no, through it quickly because we know that you love basketball. Yeah. Dude, I love basketball. I have so much to say. But, uh, yeah, I watched some highlights of the Game 7 from last night. That was a a very good game. And, honestly, yeah, I don't know if I'll be watching tonight um, because I'm not a big Sixers or Hawks fan. But uh, back to, like, the Antetokounmpo, like, does this – does that Game 7 win kind of remind you of, like, Kawhi Game 7 over the 76ers and getting over that round two hump? Um possibly no yeah. because they've been there before like no because the oh, Hawks yeah. have already been to the conference final they've already cleared that step along the way mm. it, it's being made out to be a massive deal and it, it is a big it deal is a big because deal. they beat Brooklyn yes but right like that's that's only halfway through the playoffs yeah right so but I, I, I mean they only have eight wins but in terms of like we talked about the whoever was going to win this series is now the favorite going to the finals right so the pressure, you're right, the pressure is still on the Bucks to mm-hmm. make this happen, but the path is a lot more clear. They took down a giant right. in the Nets. But I just don't think it's it really changes, like it doesn't move the needle a ton Yeah. for, for Milwaukee. They've been there before. Like this is the series that matters more, believe it or not, this next one, because they need to push themselves into an NBA Finals. They do. That's what they need to do. That needs to be the next step. Um, to make this a, a you're going to have to beat good teams along the way. It just so happened that they beat a really good one in a semi, in a conference semi. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, they're halfway through, but it feels pretty damn good, I'm sure, to beat Brooklyn, right? Holy smokes. Yeah. Like everyone was crowning them as soon as the Harden trade went down. Like, it, yeah, it's, it's incredible that even with all the injuries, it was that close. Mm-hmm. It took overtime in game seven to finish off the net. So, uh, kudos to the Bucks, and we'll, they'll await the winner of tonight's Game 7 between the Sixers and the Hawks to see who they play next week. Uh, MLB Talk. Lance, what do we got on the oh, There's not much. It's just the dead of summer. It's basically what it is. It's, it's not even... Is it summer officially yet? Uh, no, a couple days. Summer's tomorrow. It's 21st. Yep. Is it tomorrow? Yep. Yeah. Well, that right. sounds right. So, uh, so nothing really exciting. I mean, they're only like <laughs> 70 games into a 162-game <laughs> schedule. Uh, yeah. But... Of course, everyone's losing their goddamn minds if you're a Toronto Blue Jays fan about what this bullpen is, uh, which to me is surprising considering we, I thought, all had the understanding that this bullpen wasn't going to be great, uh, that pitching was going to be a bit of a concern long-term, but apparently uh, Blue Jays fan does not remember that conversation. Uh, so the question to you, Corey, is should the Blue Jays go and get relievers now or not? Because the overwhelming thought is they need people yesterday. Um, you could definitely add to it now. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hit full panic mode. Like, I mean, this team is still under 500. Um, 
like I don't I don't know if this is your year. You definitely need to kind of turn some things around if you want to start looking at the playoff picture. But um, you know, maybe that's something that you kind of wait till until July hits and maybe halfway through July and you start realizing what you might need or what you might need to sell um, and, and kind of where you're at. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think I don't think they need to do it necessarily right away. But it, it's definitely something that they need to address at some point. Well, wasn't this a team that we all realized was probably that like this was not going to be the year that next year was going to be it because they spent all their money on offensive talent, specifically George Springer. And so like they picked up some bargain pieces here and there on pitching, but like they weren't going to be able to make that big splash and, and they have really no appetite by the looks of it to go like an Alex Anthopoulos road of ripping all their picks out to, to get a pitcher or two back in return and try and make a run. Like I thought we were all of the understanding that this was going to be how it went and that next year, like this offseason, maybe they start to really bolster their pitching, whether it's starters and or bullpen guys. Mm-hmm. And then next year, we really see them take the turn. But but same question, Colby. Do you think that they should they should get more into it now than they are? You're telling me that Julian Merriweather wasn't going to be the answer for the <laughs> Blue Jays bullpen? <laughs> well, he was for a little bit. We talked about him a couple yeah. weeks ago. But um, yeah, I think... I, I think you're exactly right, Lance. Um, this offseason has been offensive driven. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to their success, it's been a very, very dominant offense, which is good to see. Albeit without really a lot of George Springer at this point. Wait till he gets back fully. And then this lineup is going to even take off even further. Um, the pitching, they've really relied on their young guys, and they've been developing them, I think, very well to this point. We're seeing Alec Manoa. We're seeing Nate Pearson, uh, Anthony Kay, and the like. So uh, they're going to continue to build with the young guys, the ones that they've drafted, because albeit Alex Anthopoulos and his moves got the Jays to a playoff run, which we've all enjoyed, but then their cupboards were bare, mm-hmm. bare for years. And I don't think they want to do that. They just signed these brand-new deals, I mean, they don't want to um, blow their load in one wow. year. I don't know. Like, I think they're going to, like you said, they're going to play the, the slow game. They've got these offensive talents um, at good ages, at good prices for a long time. And they're not going to let them go for nothing. So they're going to build around that. They got this offseason. I think you're 100% correct, Lance. They, they can now, now that this lineup is set, they can focus all their attention on the other side of the ball in the offseason with trades, whatever you need to do to make that a reality, to bring this as a complete whole team. So right. I don't think this year is the year to do that. I don't think so. Yeah, it's the, the next the interesting the thing. The next interesting thing that comes up, though, is what do you do with Marcus Semien? That's what I was thinking, yeah. Because you don't want to send the message to your team that you're out on this season considering how well they've been hitting. You don't want to send that message that you're giving up on the team, but at the same time, you have such a premium asset that re- that you have no control of past the rest of this season that you can flip for more prospect capital because you're going to need it when you start wanting like you're going to want to make these trades, right? Like the the pitchers that you're going to want to get probably more more likely starters than relievers that you're going to want to get through trade. Yeah, you're going to need prospect capital to to move in order to be able to make some of these trades make sense. Um, Mm. And so, like, Semyon just seems like such a prime trade candidate. And I think 
he he probably has to look at the situation and think the same thing. Why else would you take a one-year deal in Toronto? Like this is exactly what he wanted, an opportunity to boost his numbers, increase his value for not only a potential at a run this year, whether it be with Toronto or elsewhere, but next year in the offseason when he's looking for his next deal to get that multi-term deal. And then maybe you can even have a conversation around bringing back Marcus Semien long-term if you want to go down that road because Cavan seems decently comfortable at third base. Semien doesn't seem to mind second. You can make that argument as well. And then you couldn't even move some of your top hitting candidates, a guy like Austin Martin, to uh, to go get some pitching, Corey. Yeah, no, I would. I I agree with you. I think having a thirty-year-old come in on a one-year deal, I think the message is pretty clear, especially with this young group. That, yeah, unless we like, oh, like overdo our expectations and are like first in our division when when July hits, he's probably a candidate to get traded. Um, I just, yeah, I think there's there's got to be some interest that for a power hitter that can play second, third, and short. Um, if he has to, like, I, I'd be interested to see what you could get. Like, obviously don't sell him for nothing, but I feel like you could get a pretty good starter or, or some pitching prospects. Um, like as much as, yeah, sending a message to one of your best hitters, trading him away to this group, that's not what you want to do, but you know, you got to start looking into the future. Um, like, yeah, you can't, you can't sell for this year. I mean, you, you can't trade your Noah Syndergaards and your Travis Darnos. Hmm. Um, so yeah, like I think you hold on to them for a couple more weeks, and maybe by All Star game, you know, you see what teams are going to be looking for some infielders that are going to load up, um, and then you see what you get for them. But if you're still around the same record, can you even send that message to the clubhouse that you're trading a guy like Semyon? Like, what message does that send to the team? Because if you see them, like they, they're all guys that clearly want to win. They they've had no fun in the bullpen blowing the last couple games. I just don't know how you can move a guy like Semyon out while keeping the morale of the clubhouse where it needs to be because they're still impressionable and they're still young. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, that's that fine line, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what what is the message? You have to pick... Yeah, I mean, to be fair, you don't have to pick any message. You could literally ride this out, let Simeon go in, in free agency mm-hmm. and just keep it as is. But you're saying... Do you add to let these hitters know that their work is being appreciated and they actually have a shot at this year? Right. Or do you go the other route? Because like, that's what all that's what seemingly every Blue Jay fan on Twitter wants. They're sick of looking at the bullpen, blowing game after game. And I mean, everyone's getting it. It's it's Charlie Montoyo's fault. It's all the pitchers' fault. It's you know, Shapiro and Atkins, it's on them. And, like, yeah, there's probably shared blame to go all around, but at the end of the day, sometimes you just don't have it. Like, like bullpens are the hardest thing to build but because the, you, have no, you have no reference on these guys. Right. For a lot of them, you just see stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know that they have really good stuff, mm-hmm. but you have no idea how it's going to translate. It's why bullpen guys, we always say, they move around year after year after all year. All the time. It's so tough to build. Mm-hmm. But to get, a guy, to get a guy, you need to give a guy mm-hmm. or picks or whatever, prospects. So... That's that's the the age old question. How much are you willing to dive into if it is a a top of the line starter slash reliever? I don't even know who's on the market at this moment. Like it's probably a little. Is it too early to to look into? I mean, I know the All Star game is coming up in a few weeks, but 
deadline's going to be at the end of July, so I guess it's not that far away, but it's just uh, what are the prices and what are they willing to to give up to make it a, a reality? And the thing is, they're not one guy away. No, I don't think so at all. <laughs> they're, like, no. they're like three or four relievers away. Like, like, really, you look at that bullpen, the only one that you can say with confidence that should be back next year is Jordan Romano. Yeah. Outside of that, if if none of those guys came back, you wouldn't be stunned. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, sure, Rafael Dolis has been bad lately, but he can also be really good. Sure. Um, after that, like Tyler Chatwood, nah. Who? Yeah, there's no reason why he should come back. <laughs> okay. Like David Phelps has been popping in and out. Ryan Barucki, I guess, is brother. Left. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think so. He's really good at swimming. Barucki. Um, Anthony K is going to be mixed in, and I mean, Anthony K has some value as yeah. like a long relief guy or. Uh, a spot start, but yeah, I just I, I find it funny that Blue Jay fan gets so upset that you know they need pitching, they need to go get bullpen now. It's like, homie, you're not one or two away, you're like four, five arms <laughs> away from having something. And those, I feel like the reliever, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I feel like top quality relievers might have a, a higher price point just because they are super valuable. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong in that? I know, like, starters obviously they. You pay what you pay for those guys, but for a top quality reliever, I feel like the price might even be more than what you might get for a middle of the road starter at this stage of yeah. you know of the season. I don't know. Yeah, no, you're right because uh, you look at who the top relievers are right now. I mean, Liam Hendricks, former Jay, mm-hmm. um, well worth his money in Chicago. A guy like Rysel Iglesias for the Angels, whenever they somehow find ways to win games, <laughs> is worth his money. Edwin Diaz is worth the money. Like like Josh Hader, all these guys they they have they're so valuable, right? Sure. And uh, because it's only like five or six or seven of them, Kenley Jansen being another one, that's still pretty well worth his money. How's he doing this year? He's good. Kenley's all right. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's going to be all right. He's on the Dodgers. Sure. Like I mean, (laughs) he's getting opportunities. Yeah, the Dodgers are those teams that they just don't have bad players or when they have a guy that's down for a little bit you find just a way to to kind of like supplement it and yeah and give him some time off but i just found it really interesting to kind of look at what the jays were doing and be like okay i don't know where you want this bullpen help to come from because it ain't coming anywhere soon um and then we were talking earlier this season about how bobachette and vladimir guerrero jr were really carrying the mail now it's just vladdy all the time isn't yeah. it Definitely. Holy smokes. Like, we talked about him potentially winning a triple crown in the AL. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to see him doing what he's doing at this tender age as well. I talked about this with Scott last week or last episode. Um, what What's he going to be like at 27, 28? Like, the youth in our in, in this generation of baseball, I, there was a list, I think, on the score recently of the top 25 guys under uh, under 25 years of age. And, I mean, Vladdy was like, I think he was third or fourth on that list. Like Juan Soto was there mm-hmm. and, and Tatis Jr. Like the, the, the youth and the talent is undeniable in this league. And Vladdy's one of those guys for sure. Um, who, he's going to be an absolute monster. It's going to be hard to, uh, to pitch to him. He's already, be, he's already tough to pitch to right now. Yeah, hope so. And But like, you know, Bichette's looked really good as well. Like, yeah. This is some, like because Vladdy had an off year last year, didn't he? Or like most kind of recently? Yes. No, he yeah. was. He was really slow. So this year's huge. I mean, not just the stats that he's 
has currently, but like even a fraction of this, if he was putting up like 300 average and, you know, a fraction of the home runs, like just to see that he's got that swing back um, and the confidence is huge. Like, especially between the years of a young ball player, like it, it is, it is crucial that you have that confidence. So um, it's been a big year for him. And, you know, it's, it's been very fun to see back to semi. And I just like, I, Espinal's looked all right. Like, He's got a bad, a pretty good average. Um, I wonder if you give him a shot. He's still pretty young, only 26. Like, if you get out Semyon, not only are you going to get some some pick or some prospects or hopefully some arms back, but you're also opening up a spot to a guy that might not have that everyday opportunity. You know, the thing with Espinal is he had the opportunity last year. I mean, he was he was there quite a bit last season, and obviously didn't make enough of an impression okay. um, to the point where. They, they wanted to go out and get Semyon, and it's kind of a tough one to be like, listen, we moved out Semyon, we got some prospects back, and we're bringing in Santiago Espinal. <laughs> <laughs> You're, welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. You're well, welcome. I feel like a lot of people said that about Devin Travis, too. Oh, yeah, and how did that go? Well, he was good until he ruined his career with injuries. But... I don't know how long he was good for. He like was a, all right for Like a half a there. season? Uh, Maybe spread out know. over three. Like yeah. maybe, I'm, maybe I'm remembering that wrong. But. I think a lot of people have fond memories of Devin Travis, and it just didn't yes. work out. Yeah. Um, no. But the last one before before we're done with with baseball is just I wanted to remind everybody that the San Francisco Giants lead the NL West. Wow. Not the Dodgers, cold. not the Padres. It's the San Francisco Giants leading the NL San West. San Francisco Buster Posies. Yeah, it might as well be. Holy Truthfully, it might as well be this season. Because, uh, well, actually, it should be the Brandon Crawford show. Brandon Crawford's been absolutely ridiculous. How about um, Yastrzemski? Yeah, he's not having as good of a year as last year. Thought, although, yeah. the thing with, with Yastrzemski is that he came on so late that it maybe it was just like a little bit taking some time this year to ramp back up. I don't know what it was, but he's starting to play well again as of late. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no reason for this team to be leading the NOS. Not at all. <laughs> I don't what really, the hell? I'm surprised I don't you really even know said why. that. Like, what? Yeah, Kevin Gossman and Anthony DeSclafani. Like, Kevin Gossman <laughs> has, I think, better numbers, if not really close to Jacob DeGrom. So, so just yeah. let that soak in. And you want to talk about bullpen. I mean, Jake McGee. It's a closer, but I mean, like Tyler Rogers at a 151. Mm-hmm. Jose Alvarez is in the you know the low threes, which isn't terrible. Um, the Zach little guy that I've never heard of, but I mean that <laughs> those four guys right there all under three, like four ERA, like that's not that's not bad. And they have Aaron Sanchez. Oh yeah, oh, what? Yeah, I think he's hurt right oh, now. Gross. But, but they have Aaron Sanchez, man. Johnny Cueto. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, they. Uh, they're finding a way, and I mean, wow! I don't really know how, to be completely honest. But uh, M- McGee was a guy that had like a decently high pedigree when he played in Tampa, um, but then he just kind of went away, and all of a sudden he's back in San Fran. But uh, yeah, it's just it just goes to show that sometimes you can kind of go under the radar and be quiet in your moves, and you can still play really well, um, which I thought was kind of interesting, just to kind of see because. The Giants have a very similar yet not as flashy foundation of what the Jays have. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at guys like Brandon Crawford, Yastrzemski, uh, Brandon Belt's been around for a little while, but they have that. And similarly, how the Jays, wow. you know, are trying to add some veteran presences like a guy like Semyon uh, and George Springer. I mean, you you re- referenced it, Corey, that the the Giants still have Buster Posey out there. 
uh, <laughs> who yeah. does make a difference for a lot of different reasons. Evan Longoria as well. Shout out Evan Longoria. Yeah. The guy is still ticking. That I, is, that's incredible. Don't know how. That's incredible. Like, he, he's again, just low-key dude. Alex Wood and his return from, uh, from mm-hmm. the Dodgers and the Reds in, in years past. That, it's mm-hmm. great to see. He's been yeah. really good. He kind of got blown up the last... I say this last month, he's been blown up a couple times. But, yeah. Uh, Johnny Cueto come back, like you mentioned. That's awesome. So, yeah. Such a good team NL West, right there. run by the San Francisco Giants right now. We're going to... Is that... No, I was going to say Petco. That's not... What's their park out there? No, I don't know what it is now. It used to be AT&T. Right. Yeah. No, PNC is in Pittsburgh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the hell with it the is. the water. That's the other one with the water, yeah. I want to go... I want to go to a game and be one of those canoes out in the on the... River Bar, whatever it's called. You good? No, I don't think so. Oh, oh, you mean in San Fran? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, okay, cool. River Bar. Yeah. Could you imagine, like, just so how little balls get hit out there? Could you imagine if, like, a ball got hit out there when you were there? Yeah. And you missed it or somebody (laughs) else got it? That would be tough. That would be tough. Mm -hmm. And, like, you're close enough that you could have got it. Right. Don't know how you live that down. You don't. You don't. You just. You just don't. You'd be sad forever. Um, but yeah, so go Giants, go. <laughs> go Cubs, go. Go Giants, go. Cubs, have, yeah, I think they're leading their division too, uh, for what's worth. They are, yes. Tied with the Brewers. Yeah, yeah I think they might be up lead. now after today. Yeah. If they played today, oh. which ah. they would have because it's Sunday. That's correct. Ah. So. Very good stuff, Lance. Appreciate the uh, MLB talk. That was awesome. Good job, Lance. Good job. All right. Yeah, you're welcome. I don't know. Just we're out here, man. What are you thanking me for? Because you did a great job. Oh, move on. That's (laughs) okay. Anything else you want to touch on, guys, before we head out of here? No. No. Okay. Thanks Don't so much. Even ask that. Thanks so much for uh, finding us, downloading us, subscribing. Uh, wherever you find us, we appreciate it. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash on the board podcast. We're on Twitter as well at on the board pod. And uh, we'll hopefully be back shortly. Touch on some uh, final series in both the NBA and NHL and more baseball talk as we head along through the summer. Right, Lance? Yeah. You got it. Mm. For you Corey, good, Colby? For Corey like, did Bacoskis. you stroke out? No, we're good. For Corey Bacoskis, Lance Stahl, Colby McKee, signing off. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to On the Board. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the board podcast. Yes!